0: We're like, what if we took the power of an EV platform and the reliability and maintenance free of a motor, and put it in a race car? Our biggest thing <laughs> was was what if you ima- imagine going to a racing weekend and actually racing, and not working on the engine or tuning the engine or like like it's just
1: something with yeah. the engine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's- so in practice, that means that our car circulates a track in similar kind of lap times to a GT four.
2: Hello and welcome to The Next Great Car Era, a podcast by EV Tuners. I'm your host, Daniel Martin, and today I'm sitting down with Brian and Joel, the founders of Scalar Performance. After meeting at the track and teaming on some endurance racing, Brian and Joel created Scalar Performance to build a dedicated EV track car for the amateur racer. The performance of an electric powertrain is impressive, and Tesla cars have been breaking lots of records as more and more show up to the track. But... At the end of the day, some must-haves for the street are not needed or even get in the way for a dedicated track car. Enter the Scalar SCR1, which takes the well-loved Toyota GR86 chassis with its robust aftermarket and then swaps in a bespoke EV drivetrain. The result is a car which is almost the same weight as its ICE counterpart, but with a power imbalance similar to a Porsche GT4, A top speed of 146 miles per hour, which is faster than you can go on most tracks, and is already caged and approved for everything from HPDE high-performance driving experience all the way to -to wheel-to-wheel super touring with the National Autosport Association. We chat about the idea behind the SCR1, dig into the technical details of the car, and discuss the bright and fast future of racing with electric cars. Before we dive in, please remember to like and subscribe on YouTube, leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, and follow us on socials. It helps a ton, and I really appreciate it. If you want to participate with the EV Tuners community even more, check out our Patreon page for all sorts of exclusive access. And now, with that, enjoy. Brian Joel, you know, thanks so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to chat and hang out. Um, there's a ton to talk about, uh, Scalar performance, SCR1, all of that. But let's start at the beginning with just who you guys are and how Scalar started.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'll go first. My background has been all tech on the tech side. So I ran a decent size like IT consultancy um, and a cybersecurity event and, and all sorts of stuff in the, the IT world. Um, after doing that, I went to, you know, club level racing. That's how I met Joel. He started building some motors, uh, for me and, um, his brother built a cage for one of my cars, which is the original connection. Um, and then, you know, after doing some endurance racing for a while, we said, Hey, we should do a business together. And when we looked at kind of what EV can do, I'm like, Hey, this seems to be new and interesting stuff. Like let's start exploring. Um, so that's kind of the preamble, and I'll share a bit more, but maybe Joel, you can introduce yourself too.
0: Yeah, so I'm Joel Valais, and I've been pretty much in the car world my entire life. It's always been cars. Actually, my first word when I was a kid was car, car. <laughs> so Was it really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally awesome. through and through, cars has, has been my life. So I've I've always had a garage working on cars, racing. I started drifting back in 2010. That's kind of been like my racing background. And then, yeah, it was 2020, I believe, the end of 2020. Um, Brian came to me with a 350Z, wanted to build for an endurance car. And I said, sure, let's do it. Uh, so we, I was putting the motor together for him. And over the course of the year, we were just racing together. and I would help him fix it and drive it. We were like, hey, this is, this is fun. And then we see us and everyone else has motor problems because, you know, gas engines just if you're not refreshing it every year, it's blown up and you're replacing it. So <laughs> yep. we decided, let's uh why don't we switch to electric? It's got amazing performance, it's got you know, the maintenance is next to nil. What would it take to kind of get into this world? And we clicked into EV cars. That's when we started driving Teslas around tracks, and we're like, wow, these things are amazing, rocket ships, but man do they ever fall on their face and you can't drive around all the nannies in them like they're so they don't let you turn a corner too fast between stability management the abs attractions like all the fun bits have been taken away from you so like what if we took the power of an ev platform and the reliability and maintenance free of a motor and put it in a race car and it didn't exist the platform wasn't there you could get Formula E was around, but Mm -hmm. as far as like for an amateur club level to go out and race their electric car on the racetrack against it, even other ice cars, um, in a wheel to wheel kind of door to door racing, it just didn't exist. So that's kind of where we're like, well, there's a, there's a bit of an opportunity there. So we joined forces, um, and there's a third number two, Roger, uh, who's also been racing with us. So the three of us got together and like, let's, uh, let's do this thing.
2: I love that. It's this is super exciting. I to build on one one thing you said about gas cars needing so much maintenance. Last day, I was at the track like week and a half ago or so. Uh two people lost their motors. And uh you know, there's tears and sadness and kicking rocks and you just hate to see it cuz they're done for the day. They got a big bill to pay. And uh yeah. So it is nice to ha- to remove variables as far as what can go wrong so that you can stay out there racing.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely a big thing. Our biggest thing was was what if you imagine going to a racing weekend and actually (laughs) racing, not working on the engine or tuning the engine or like like
1: it's just something with the engine.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The rest of the car was always great. The suspension was great. The brakes were great. The chassis setup was amazing. It was always an engine problem that we were we were battling.
2: Hmm. Awesome. So. So then that was kind of the, the beginning of the development of the uh, SCR-1, right? Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Let's see, where do we start with that? Because that, that's been a heck of a journey over the last, I guess, uh, year and a half. Uh, we're coming into our second SEMA. So last year at SEMA, we presented the car and uh, it's yet to be tested prototype stage. Um, and then... This season, we'll be presenting the car at SEMA again in its as-raced uh, phase. So, um, you know, quite a quite a lot of leaps and bounds between SEMA last year and SEMA this year, uh, between what was really just a concept on the floor and and uh, a car that's been out racing in the NASA Super Touring Series. So, um, so so much has been learned over the time, right? We we started with uh, some amazing partners. If you see a brand name on the side of the car, they've been one of the partners helping us figure out the engineering. Um, you know the the biggest one there being Hypercraft, which is a, a company out of Provo, Utah, that's really been helping us on the powertrain engineering. Uh, but some other major players have come forward. Right, Olin's built a suspension just for that car, put it on the shaker rig and designed a suspension just for it. Um, you know, PWR oh, wow. had it out of indiana indianapolis um you know uh, pwrs cnr rads um they've really done some some really clever engineering on the chiller plates that we use to keep the batteries cool um and and their chiller plates were (laughs) really really instrumental in in us being able to run 30 minutes um because that's that's the hard part even these like wonderfully fast nitro cross cars that you see ev racing um or this e extreme like these are all under 10 minute events right and then these cars go rushing to chilled water solutions um we're out there racing with gas cars for a 30 minute nasa event so uh, that's presented the biggest challenges i would say
2: so i'm going to put a picture up uh, for folks that are, are watching this on video so that they can see, but um, let's talk about the chassis that you started with. I think that that, when I first saw it, it's like, wait, I think I recognize that car. And and there's some really kind of clever elements as far as parts availability uh, that kind of go along with it, the existing aftermarket. Can we talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Go ahead, Joel.
0: So, As racers, fellow racers, a big thing that we wanted to accomplish with this build was having a friendly car to work on, Um, especially coming from an amateur club level racing. You're not talking about million dollar budgets here. You're talking about people who usually partner up with a couple friends. They're going out for the weekend. They want something that's familiar, um, easy to fix, easy to work on. So a big part of uh, choosing a chassis in the beginning was finding a familiar car for people to work with. And the the new GR86 that came out just seemed like a no-brainer. We had actually planned on doing the first gen, and then initial talks... We were trying to find some that had like blown motors because you could pick them up relatively cheap. They're a super popular chassis when it comes to drifting, uh, grip racing is the drifters call or I call it. So road circuit racing, even rallying. I've seen a couple of my friends have taken them as rally cars. So it's really a really <laughs> chassis that's been used for literally any kind of use case. It's had every kind of motor swapped into it or engine swapped into it. I think we're, the, we're definitely the first one to swap an electric motor into it. But as far as aftermarket support, you couldn't get a better chassis. Like it's Hmm. just whatever you think you could want to do with this car is available for it. So at this time also, because this was uh, the business kind of came to conception in 2022, the new 2022 GR86 model had come out. And like, wow, what a sharp looking car. They just perfected the look, the lines. It's just an unbelievably amazing chassis. And when we found out that it's pretty much based on the same on the first gen, as far as suspension subframes, like it's literally the first gen with just a better looking body on it. So it's like, well, perfect. So everything that everybody's developed since 2013, when that chassis came out, is all applicable to the new chassis. It all it all fits. It all works. So we don't need to do any new R&D for components. So <clears throat> again, what a perfect chassis to pick. People are familiar with it, and the cost to purchase the chassis is relatively cheap. If you're in the U.S., like the car will make that cost 28,000 U.S. Um, to purchase, so that's a great starting platform. Uh, The car weighs twenty-eight hundred pounds, um, right off the showroom floor, full factory trim. It like, where can you buy a rear-wheel drive car, manual transmission, that's fun and sporty for under three thousand pounds? Like every car nowadays is just so heavy. So to find a car that already started out light, because knowing that we were going to be putting a whole bunch of weight in this car, like we wanted to start with a nice lightweight chassis. So. Again, just another reason, like we just coming up with pros and more pros and more pros in order to pick this chassis. So that's why we went with it. Um, and a big part of developing the chassis and integrating the powertrain and how we place the motor in the car and the gearbox and the battery in the car, we maintain all of the, the structural or all of the suspension components in their original placements as well. We haven't modified with the subframes, the control arms even the axles are from a GR86. Hmm. The diff, our gearbox, gear reduction box, is from a GR86. So you can, as a, again, down well, to the Well, that anti- that's injury. not true. The box isn't,
1: the diff carrier is the only thing that. Carrier, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, the yeah.
0: carrier inside, inside it, our. Not gearbox. the pumpkin. <laughs> yes, the carrier that has the little limited slip yeah. bits. In it. We have unbolted the crown gear and bolted a spur gear on it. But so it took the GR86 axle. So if you break an axle or you have an accident or something in it, then you can just go to any wrecking yard and get another GR 6 axle forward or share your buddy's axle who's running a nice engine. Um, so again, because we want this to be a, a very friendly and approachable car, we want things to be, be familiar. We don't want you to have to come to us for some specially ordered control arm and axle that's like a six-month waiting period. Now, I want you to race as quick as possible if you get into an accident or something like that or break apart. Like So it's just so many things and thought went into the chassis and how we constructed it so that you could be, you could approach this car as a, just a novice racer. And not that's be intimidated very cool. By
2: it. Yeah. So, so now the, uh, the R and D version you're, you're currently driving, uh, take us through a little bit of the, of the technical elements from, from the EV side. Do you have a battery pack? Um, how, how big is that battery pack?
1: Yeah, so so I guess the technical sides, like if you think about the simplistics of an EV powertrain, you've got a battery, an inverter, and a motor are kind of the three most major components, right? Yeah. So nothing in, in our powertrain is you know used anywhere else at this point. Um, the battery is unique to to the build. Uh, Hypercraft's building the batteries for us. So the battery in our car takes up the engine bay, transmission tunnel and the rear seat gas tank area that's behind the you know passenger driver seats. So think of a big T-shaped okay. uh, battery pack. Um, and it ties together because we end up cutting the transmission tunnel out of the car. Now that battery pack has a big quarter-inch skid plate on the bottom, um, which ties together the four frame rails. So it, the battery becomes a structural member of the car. Very um, cool. And that skid plate means that if the car ever tumbles, the battery pack is well-protected. Uh, and, of course, it's inside the cage. Uh, so the battery is is that big T-shaped pack. Um, and then the inverter is a Cascadia, and it provides the inverter. And then the motor, uh, Stealth EV provides. So they've, they've designed it specific for this use case. Uh, it's all oil-cooled and lubricated rather than the more traditional oil-to-water um, setup. And that allowed us to package it in kind of a smaller... Uh, packaging, and then it sits directly above the subframe to drive the rear wheels through the gear reduction box we just talked about. So, um, yeah, it's kind of very tidily all stacked right up on that rear subframe, comes up into what would have been the trunk space. Uh, And so that creates a weight balance that's not accidentally about the same corner weights as a Porsche GT4, which is very different. Then the GR86 corner weights, um, and why Olin's had to do a completely custom suspension, even though the control arms are GR86, um, the suspension valving and, and spring rates, of course, are, are very different because our weight distribution is very different. So, factory would be a 55 45 split, and we're exactly opposite 45 55 split. So, like I said, not accidentally the same overall weight and corner weight. Um, and weight distribution is a Porsche GT4, which are pretty good. Yeah, they're, they're pretty all right, they're okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes not, around not the track,
0: not too bad. And it... <laughs> <laughs> Just the drive yeah. and drive thing, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I know it's not a perfect comparison, um, horsepower to electric kind of kilowatt hour or kilowatt, um, but rough. Comparison for folks who are kind of kind of thinking in that horsepower range, what are what would you say is is kind of uh, going to the wheels?
1: I'd I'd love to actually like you know kind of put a, a snapshot up of the dyno graph from our car, and you know insert a little chat here about the horsepower and torque of an electric. Let's do it. I think it's su- su- super useful for people to think about the single gearbox scenario. Um, yeah, the difference is you know like like you've got more of a mountain range and you can insert a, t- t- a Porsche GT4 dyno pull here. Um, Grab the one off my car if you like, <laughs> but yep. but you know like like so my car is what the the GT4 is 370 wheel horse. Um, so you know 370 is the peak, and then as the RPM rises past that, it falls off. So if you're running in that you know top of the rev range, the top of that mountain there. You're running so 370s a peak, probably always 340 to 370 the best you can through sure. each gear shift, right? You try to yeah. keep yourself there. Um, our car, you know, the maximum output of that motor core is 500 horsepower, um, but it's not fair to say it's a 500 horsepower car because the only time it makes 500 horsepower is if you're at 12,000 rpm, like its max rpm. Um, which would mean that you're also at the car's max speed based on the gearbox ratio. Uh, Because it's just a single gear. Therefore, if the torque curve, and when you show the dyno graph, you'll see it's not really true. There's a little bit of mountain there as well. But if you oversimplify, you've got a flat torque curve that does actually this, falls off a cliff. Mm -hmm. And then uh, horsepower goes from zero RPM as a function of torque. If torque is flat, then horsepower is diagonal right and just keeps getting bigger as you move along because there's a single gear you never get to shift gears to stay in that high rpm area where you're making the most horsepower so in practice that means that our car circulates a track in similar kind of lap times to a GT4 which is 370 wheel horse but close to 370 the time you're out there you know within say 15% um, whereas our car is coming off some of the corners with only hundred horsepower available and other corners with 300 horsepower available and other corners with 400 horsepower available. Right. So, yeah. um, it creates also a bit of interesting dynamic when you're out racing, cause it creates a bit of a leapfrog effect in some of the, the racetrack, right. Where you get to a straightaway and you start pulling on cars and then our car does really well under braking. But then on a slower speed corner, it might not have quite the horsepower available to to make a jump out of the corner. So that's where playing with the gearing to get the, you know, the motor far enough up in the RPM to get lots of power available is important. Um, and, and then the, the very next question that comes up from everybody is, well, then why don't you just create a multiple speed gearbox? But it really goes to what Joel was talking about, making a super affordable Easy to maintain car, nothing simpler than a direct drive single gear. Um, there's really nothing to break there. Like, you change the oil on it eventually, and <laughs> like, like you know, about as often as you change your your gear, you know, your differential oil, and and that's really about it. Um, yeah, that makes so, sense. So that's motivating. Yeah. Hypothetical. That so was a way long speed? answer to to like. That was a way long answer to how much horsepower, but the answer is like 500 max and probably like 380 kind of lap time, uh, and with the 6.2 gears that we've just put in it now, um, the max speed is 148 miles an hour, which it gets to reasonably quickly. <laughs> so you end up holding there.
2: Oh, you 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 get to it. That's
1: that's good. Yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: And a lot of tracks, like the reason we didn't go for a super high top speed, because in tracks, especially in North America, there's no tracks that allow you to even get much further than that. Like the VIR, we got up to just over 140 mile an hour. That's a super long straightaway. Yeah. So even at the end of that straightaway, we still had another six mile an hour to go. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't really need that super high top speed. So it, it's not it's not a super high top speed achiever for that reason. Now, running the Autobahn, you might be a bit different, but for North America, we don't really need that super high top speed. So we chose to pick that 6.2 gear, and because it gives us a nice quick off the line, off the corners, and it just gives us enough top speed that we can run with the big boys.
1: You need that balance. Yeah, Yeah, so we get to it pretty quickly, and then you just end up holding it. It's 148 is the top speed that it holds at right now.
2: Nice. I actually, uh, I don't know if I told you guys, but I drove on the Autobahn once. it was very exciting um but it was a rental car uh it was a hyundai i10 i don't know they don't have those in north america at least not in the states and it was both exciting and very demoralizing because i'm like going along at about 70 miles per hour whatever that is and and kilometers i'm not good at the conversion i'm like 120 i'm like Wow, this is so fun. And then just getting like roasted by, by, you know, (laughs) Porsche, Beamer, even an imported Mustang, like an old uh, classic Mustang just by me. And it's like, oh, I saw so many cool cars passing me. Next time I go back, I'll have to get a faster car. But you don't even need a faster car.
0: My my physics teacher told me when he grew up in Germany, he had a a Ford Escort and he would Uh go to work every day at 200 kilometers an hour in a Ford (laughs) Escort. (laughs)
1: With a tailwind,
0: (laughs) (laughs) it managed to do it, but he's like, it scared the crap out of me
2: (laughs) at 120 kilometers an hour. I was the suspension was getting light and feathery. (laughs) Every time someone would pass me, I would get buffeted by the wind. (laughs) Uh Yeah, so it felt more like going a hundred miles an hour, but anyway, um, it's kind of a a fun memory. Yeah, good times (laughs) have to have to go back someday.
1: Yeah, I did a me- mega Germany trip for my fortieth, and um, we hit spa and we hit Nurburgring, and we did a you know country roads and autobahn, but we had a big pile of really fast cars. So, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's a it's an interesting experience in beautiful country.
2: I was, uh, I think you made the better choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um back to the SCR1 um battery pack size uh do we do we know what that is and as far as you mentioned kind of that 30 hour, 30 minute range is what, what so right
1: right now we're at 60 kilowatt hours okay um and that's given us the 30 minute runtime. um we're looking at changing the cell types in the next pack revision which will bring us to 70 which should give us the forty-five minute runtime of the NASA Nationals, ah. which is which is what we're looking at.
2: And so, that is forty-five minute runtime. Now, is this factoring in kind of that buffer on either end of the pack? You know, not uh, full uh, charge, warm up,
1: yeah, yeah. No warm up laps, Although or or do, even just safety in the pack, the full charge, hundred uh, percent. We do okay. We really do. Like, like you know, right now. The cells are max nominal of 4.2, and so we're taking it to 4.2 for, for a full race. Um, the new pack, the new cell type that we're looking at will be 4.5, and so we'll be, we'll be looking to take it up. Again, when you think about what you know about streetcars, you, your biggest thing there is you don't want um, to shorten the life of the pack. You're trying to get a 10, 15-year right. life out of that pack. Um, you know, we don't really know if, if our pack's going to die at five years or six years or whatever, but, um, you know, frankly, if, if you got three, it would be three times longer than a motor lasts. Right. Right. So, uh, in about the same budget. So, so we're not really worried about pack longevity. We're worried about maximum runtime and we're worried about making sure that you're, you are your last lap, the car is just as capable as your first lap, meaning that you're putting consistent lap times down. So that's one of the other things that we're worried about when we're doing calibration is is making sure that we don't, you know, draw down like or allow the motor to go way into its peak for too long and and then not have that peak available later. So we want consistent laps over the course of a race. Now you can go racing with gas cars. And know that if you can do a consistent lap, you're going to do well, right? Just like you would with a gas car.
2: Yeah. And so, you're are you running into any voltage sag at all um, in say, like towards the end of that uh, thirty minute session?
1: So the short answer is yes. Yeah. The long answer is we're watching it very carefully as we're going through development cycles. It's part of why we're changing cell types so that we can shore that up. Um, and again, you know voltage sag happens no matter what. It's just whether it's too much voltage sag, right. Or voltage sag to the point that it's impacting performance. Um, and so so we're able to get that kind of runtime and consistent laps now at the 30 minute mark we've got, probably we haven't really pushed it past to find out exactly when it's like going to the danger zone really right now. We're not letting the cells drop down below like a 2.8. Um, So could you drop them down more? The answer is yes. You'd substantially shorten the life and you'd start to get into danger zone. Um, So we haven't had to play with that. But those are the kind of things that we're looking at for sure.
2: And at that 2.8 mark or somewhere around there, you're still having, it's still within the the realm of being able to have that consistent performance.
1: Yeah, because you end up pulling more amperage to get the same kilowatt. Balance it out. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and so that's why you don't you don't set up a tune so that you can pull max amperage times max max voltage because that would give you max wattage, but you wouldn't have that for thirty minutes. Yeah. Right. So you know your current limit and you torque limit the motor so that you can have a consistent performance throughout the race. Right. So that's why you also see, like, if you looked at Porsche GT4 e-performance that they've put out as a concept, mm-hmm. they've got one mode where you can go out and do 30 minutes of lapping. And then they have what they call party mode, which is 10 minutes of like that. <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can have all the beans, but the beans are going to dry. You're going to have less beans use the more you eat them. <laughs> Right.
0: It's, so, it's called the, the shaker, where you open the one side and it's got the little hole. The uh-huh. other side, just, you open the lid, it's just all of it. Uh, all, all it once. <laughs> all, all the beans. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so that's a, that's a big part of the tuning work that we're doing, right? Is so that you can every lap, you can come off each corner the same way, right? You, you know, as yeah. as you go to a track day, you go out there and you know you want to focus on your racecraft. You don't expect the vehicle to behave differently each lap. <laughs> so,
2: Hard to account for that. Right. You might behave differently. That's on you. <laughs> but the vehicle. Should... <laughs> Need only <Yeah>. one variable, <laughs> if at all possible. <laughs> right. and that, That's the nut behind the wheel. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's
1: a large part of the work for sure.
2: I think that's really interesting not only because there's a uh, maybe a, a misunderstanding by some folks that there is no tuning in electric cars um but also just the process that you guys are going through of of taking this car that you built and then tracking it and then making adjustments gathering that data and continuing to build and iterate like that's really cool I think a lot of car people would be fascinated by that process
1: it it's really fun and interesting. At least I'm biased, and I think so. Uh, the other thing that we're spending a lot of time on, and I think we've got really nicely dialed, actually, right now, is tuning on the regen side, um, which is which is you've got the delivery of power, which is you know tuning we all all kind of familiar with, and then uh, the delivery of regen. I guess is the other way to say it. Um, and what I think is really interesting. Is we've run our car during development with a big brake kit on the back of the car again rear wheel drive car so we only get re- regen off the rear wheels okay. uh, with with big brakes with little brakes and with no brakes uh, and what's super interesting is you can Yeap. get a pretty similar <laughs> <laughs> similar lap time because the the motor will generate enough negative torque like regen will provide all the braking force you need. Um, the question is what gives you the combination of maximum runtime, consistency and safety. And the thing that Joel and I have spent so much time trying to do with this car that I don't think has really been done with electric car before is to give you that purest driver experience, Mm -hmm. um, rather than the, you know, soulless, like dumbed down experience. Um, And so, brake feels a big, big part of the purest driving experience, in my opinion. Uh, And our car is depowered, so it's all pedal feel. Um, You know, there's no ABS in it. So, with all that pedal feel, it's really easy to do threshold braking, which is interesting. Um, Hmm. But then, we're using a pressure sensor so that we know exactly how much brake the driver is calling for, and then adjusting regen accordingly. And if you were to call the map. That we built um, with no brakes on the car, like the 100% map. Yeah, what we've, we're have kind of leaning to right now is about a 20% map. So, you know, about 20% of the maximum regen uh, table. And the, you know, wow. what we found has been driving that is, putting current into the battery puts even more heat in the batteries than pulling current out. Um. And so from a thermal perspective, from a being able to head out with a full charge instead of needing a bunch of pack, you know, space space sure. to 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 put the charge and all the rest, we're we're using a big brake kit on the car and then using that regen as additional braking and as a brake bias control really, which is you know something a streetcar doesn't really have. Um, but it's super important in a race car is that you can tune the bias of front and rear brake.
2: Is that so it's, it's that's really driver input while while they're at the track? There'll be
1: like knob
2: on the steering wheel or something like that.
1: So, we production version of the car will look at doing something like that. Right now, um, we're just doing it with a laptop. Cool, right? We we had a proportioning valve in there, the traditional one. But because the car has so much rear weight bias, you need actually more in the back than you do in the front. Mm. Um, and so we're doing it all with with uh, regen right now. So will will it be user selectable? Yes, but right now we're we're tweaking on a you know development basis per track basis just by plugging in a laptop.
2: Very cool. What yeah. uh, what type of so a lot of the builds, like like in Colorado that that we saw, uh, the the EV swapped cars, they're using like AEM uh, VCU's. Are you guys using something similar, or what? What is the brains when you're using the laptop to make these tuning changes and dialing it all in? What what's the brains that is controlling all of this?
1: So it is an AEM VCU three hundred. Okay, um, but because of the tight relationship with Hypercraft and AEM. There's, there's firmware on it. That's not necessarily all publicly available, but, um, that is the brains of it.
2: You guys are helping to prove that out too.
1: Every piece in this car is, (laughs) (laughs) is, you know, we're pushing it harder than any street build would, right? So. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Um, so there's it, it's it, this is clearly very exciting, and uh, I, we could nerd out on this all day. At least I could. Um, you mentioned street build. Is this car, if someone buys it, is it theoretically street streetable? They wanted to.
0: It's like you could drive it on the street, but it comes down to your local laws. Like, I wouldn't want to be driving around a cage, fully caged car with no helmet on. Right, Like you get into an accident, you knock your head off the cage and you're done. So like, can you drive it on the street? Yes. Will this car be made to be a street car? No. It's, there's so many rules and regulations and governing bodies and things that you need to abide by in order to make a car legal to drive on the street that it's just not, it's just not worth it. We have safety things in the car that that is safe and reliable to be on a racetrack, but we just didn't want to go down the whole road of making it a street car. So no, it'll, it'll stay, stay a race car.
2: Makes sense. Unless you want to wear a helmet on on your yeah. grocery trip. Yeah, absolutely. It's
0: <laughs> up to you. Live life <laughs> you as a state. Because there's a motor back there. You pop the trunk and there's your motor. <laughs> it's you fine. only like a couple bags of groceries versus the gas version. You can probably put 10 <laughs> bags of groceries.
2: Is there room and for, for the golf passenger clubs? Seat. Get the Get
0: the passenger seat. Passenger seats up. for that. <laughs> yeah, the passenger seat. There's no back seat because the back seat is now where the battery is. So there's not really. Um, Many street, it's and it doesn't even have a frunk because there's a battery up there too. So,
2: the <laughs> <laughs> passenger seat is cool though. Um So two people can go around the track in this. That's
1: good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's no point. We've made that decision early. There's there's no point building a car like this if you can't scare your friends.
2: Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> oh look at all this money I spent. Oh, I actually can't take you for a ride.
1: Sorry. Oh, let me describe <laughs> it to you.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, this
1: works. <laughs> yeah so the passenger seat comes out easily so you can take that weight out of the car when you want to go racing but i mean let's be honest you're not going to spend this money on the car and not want to scare your friends so
2: yeah seriously
0: also um, not just like you want to scare your friends but as a teaching tool like this car electric has that. that ability so that you can dial the power down with a little turn of a dial and this could be Easily used as a learning car. If you want to take it for a driving school or a driving academy, like this car isn't the most approachable thing. You're not worrying about shift points. You're not worrying about clutch and even just transmission stuff. It's literally set the power and drive it. You can focus on car placement on the track, hitting mm-hmm. your apexes, your corners, passing. Like it's just, so of course, having a passenger seat in it for that aspect also was important.
1: have yeah, yeah. an instructor in it. Yeah, HPDE
2: days. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah so um when should people be kind of keeping an eye out for the production version um or when do you and uh, do you propose that there might be pricing information available um for someone to be able to kind of go and start
1: start perusing so pricing is on the website now the first cars we've priced at 209 um of course we hope to be able to put some some founder edition cars is what we're calling them for the first 10 cars so that we can get some people out racing them and yeah. And some feedback. Um, we'd hope to deliver those sooner, but really the, the development cycle that we've been talking about, you know, like every components <laughs> in a development cycle with us for sure. Uh, and so it's, you know, taken more time than expected. I would expect more of a fall 2024 if I was being realistic about it now. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have a second car out early next year. So we'll have two cars out racing and um, then we'll have a lot more data. We can mm-hmm. really tune it. We, we really want to be able to put it in people's hands and have them just plug it in and then go race, uh, which is which is really the goal. So. Yeah.
2: Will there be capability for, um, for like almost like uh, over the air updates, but maybe even like racing settings like Joel dialed in his favorite settings for a track like could i download that and be like i really like how he approaches this track and now i'm going to like flash it onto my scr1
1: that's a really interesting thought um i can't say we've really nailed that um over the air updates is not something we wanted to provide like it's your race car when you buy it you'll want to put things on more Your I. I've been thinking more like your second idea, which is I like Joel's settings. I'll use those. Yeah. Um, or I'll use the NASA approved settings for this event, uh, mm. that kind of thing. Um, and so that's that's been more what we'd want to do. Uh, and so the thinking there is like right now, again, early development, that it's all very selected off a laptop and uploaded sure. to the VCU. Um, whether we keep that approach for the first few cars like longer term we wanted that to just be off the touch screen in the center. Um, but but in the the first versions, I imagine it'll still be a plug the laptop in. That makes sense but but yeah, like like we'll we'll lock certain settings and allow other settings to be adjusted within a safe percentage. So you know the regen once we've got it dialed in really, well, so that it's good for 90% of the people at 90% of the places, then we just need to provide say a 15% plus or minus for, you know, your tastes slash mm. situation. Um, and, and so that's more what you'll see from us as far as making it simple and rather than giving you the regen table and, you know, being able to blow up a battery pack or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want that
2: uh no that I, I, that would mean no more track time <laughs> right
1: <laughs> so, also the batteries are are still like uh rather expensive so,
2: Looking far ahead, uh, do you guys have any wild ideas for like uh, the scr two? Like, is there an all-wheel drive version in in the mix, or any other any other thoughts about uh, you do know? Do you know who's ahead? desperate
1: to build a drift car? Guess <laughs> is it Joel? <laughs> oh, you can't see that there.
2: <laughs> Interesting. So we've,
0: so we've talked about it having and when we designed our gear reduction box we had in mind um to have a second motor on the other side of it because right now if you pop the trunk the motor um, and drive line is in line with the axle so to have a second motor kind of on the driver's side in the trunk you have two of these 500 horsepower motors going into a gearbox now you have a thousand horsepower rear wheel drive drift car yeah oh baby <laughs> that sounds pretty appealing <laughs> yeah, yeah it does. so that's kind of the only other iteration that we've discussed as far as this chassis and like what's the next thing for it i mean the, the gr86 is an amazing chassis but it is really small so yeah. as far as packaging we've pretty much crammed as much stuff in it as we can there's not much more room to put like motors up front um an all-wheel drive setup would do, would be cool but that's a lot of extra weight, and we're really trying to keep the weight down for a car as small as th- this size. So, I think a dual motor might might be in the works. We're still in the discussions for it for for this fall, um, but that's about the only other iterations we've talked about.
2: That that counts. I'm excited <laughs> to see that. Yeah, yeah excited that, for
1: that. The that won't add version. any weight to the car because we'll take battery out to to compensate. So,
0: yeah, the, the drift car is. Uh, you go out for. But you're out there for 5, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes if you're doing it one more time. So you don't need that 30 or big 30-minute mm-hmm. pack we have to kilowatt packs. You can really, and the oh, this is the amazing thing about EVs, whatever weight distribution you want in the car, you just move the stuff around. Like it's so, so when we it stays, forward, it, well, yeah, like an ICE engine, you're limited. The motor has to be in the front, but the motor has to be in the back. And that's where all the weight is and it's focused. You can't do anything about it. But with uh, the EV car, you're like, mm, I think we want a 45 55. So in CAD, you're moving modules around. It all fits in the roll cage, so we know we need this many modules here and this many modules here. Boom, 45 55. We want a drift car. You don't want that. You want more front weight than you do back weight. So mm, we just move some modules up front. Now we have our 60 40 weight. No problem. Like you can, the, the EV world is just so customizable with what you can do. That's another really really cool aspect to the EV space. It's like whatever your mind can think of. Say you want to have uh, a different gear ratio on your front wheels versus your back wheels. You want to overdrive front wheels versus the back. Well, you can do that in an EV. You can have by the by the end of your top speed run, the rear motor is just pushing the car, but you use the front to like dig the car out of a an all wheel drive pull. Uh, Or you can join the motors from front to back, and you can have different gear ratios as well. Like just so many things open up in the EV space. That you just were restricted so much with with an ice car. So our minds are still being blown open daily by the number of things we want to try, and it's really constrained to our how much money we want to spend on this. And time really, when it comes down, and time so yeah. we only have so many times, so many hours in the day to to actually do all these things that are going on in our minds. Sometimes we can't sleep because we have these ideas, but other than that,
1: we're fine.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> <We'll> how <go. laughs> how you know you're having fun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> other than that, we're fine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well on that note of time i know that we are, are just about out of uh, of our time for today um any any kind of words of advice for folks who uh, are interested in getting into evs into racing uh any, anything anything else that uh, that comes to mind um as we wrap up here
1: hi uh, gee, I, I wonder where to start because there's there's so much to learn and you know we've been fortunate to be able to reach out with great partners and kind of have them carry us through a lot of the learning too. Um, You know, we we try to be active on social media so you you can see where the car is going to be. And certainly SEMA is going to be the next big thing. We we hopefully announce somewhere else that will be before SEMA. Um, If you can come out and check it out, because nothing really beats actually looking at it. The car is so being a race car exposed. It's really easy for people to visualize what all the pieces are. Yeah, Um, And, you know, People who are reaching out to us just on the social media with questions, we're answering everything we can as honestly as we can, because uh, it, it's very much a community right now of sharing information. Um, that, you know, I, I think it was a, that State to Charge conference where it, someone said, there's so much opportunity right now. Competitors don't have to hate each other. They're, it's just like, can right. all help each other. There's so much interesting opportunity out there. So we're very much embracing the share all the information.
2: That's good advice. The community is really great in the EV world right now.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's very much like the hot rod days of the twenties and thirties. Like this is all so new. Everybody, nobody's got that solution, like perfect solution. So everybody's just trying everything. Yeah. And it's a great community to just talk to everybody. What did you do? Oh, I did this. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Like it's just new motors, new inverters are coming out literally every month. There's a new product that's out there to try Um, It's just so exciting. Just so many new things coming out. So my encouragement to other people would just be to ask questions and never stop researching and seeing what other people are doing.
2: I love it. Well, with that, thank you, gentlemen, both for the time and uh, look forward to seeing you at the track and at SEMA.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for your
0: time.